Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Best Phone Plans Podcast. Dennis and I are joined today by special guest, Mike Dano. Mike is a writer for Light Reading. He's written over 1,100 articles focusing on 5G and wireless. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm good. Thanks so much for having me today. I appreciate it. A, a, a thousand articles? That's that's a lot. Uh, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I was blown away. Wow. Okay. Good to know. Mike, how long have you been writing for Light Reading or been in the industry? Yeah, I've been in the industry for uh, longer than a, longer than a, a long time, almost, uh, almost 20 years now. I've been uh, covering the industry. I worked for a while at uh, a place called RCR Wireless News, and then uh, for a long time, I worked at a place called Fierce Wireless. Um, and for the past uh, two two years and change, I've been uh, here at Light Reading, uh, covering all things uh, 5G and mobile. That's great. That's great. Well, we really appreciate all the work you're contributing to the wireless space, your in-depth articles and research. And I particularly enjoyed some of your articles around T-Mobile's latest announcement. And I thought today, the day after the announcement, it would be a perfect time to summarize what happened and share some of our thoughts around that. Uh, so what did T-Mobile announce yesterday? You want to quickly give us an overview of, of the big announcements? Yeah, the big announcements. Uh, a lot of stuff yesterday, that's true. In fact, I spent all day on it. Uh, I had planned to do other stuff in the afternoon, but uh, there was so much stuff coming out of T-Mobile that I had, I was, that was my whole day. Um, so they did, you know, they had a, uh, they had one of their uncarrier press events and they've, they've got those down to a science. It was only half an hour, uh, which I appreciated, but, you know, basically uh, big picture is what I think is that they, they basically put like the finishing touches on their sort of post-Sprint merger 5G strategy. They, uh, you know, they announced a free phone and cheap service for smartphones. They finally um, took the, you know, the two, took the uh, took the wraps off their fixed wireless internet service uh, and made that 100% real and commercial and it's no longer a test thing anymore. Uh, and then they also made some, uh, made some announcements about uh, expanding into uh, rural America um, and so, you know, you put, put all those things together and that was kind of, those are, that's kind of, the, you know, the, the, the finishing touches of, of what they had said they would do if they were to merge with Sprint. Yeah. So we had home internet, we had a free phone deal and we had sort of their strategy for 5G. Um, maybe we can start with, uh, the home internet. I feel like a lot of people were kind of excited about that. This is a new opportunity for people in maybe more rural areas to get access to high speed broadband. Um, what, yeah, what, what did T-Mobile announce and what were your kind of reactions to it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest is that I find this whole fixed wireless internet thing fascinating. I think it's a super interesting, service. um, it has so many interesting implications, especially, you know, in a, in a post COVID world where our current president is proposing to spend up to a hundred billion dollars, you know, crossing the digital divide with technologies that might look a lot like what T-Mobile launched. I mean, yeah, it's just a super interesting service, but um, I would say that, you know, what we got yesterday was essentially confirmation, I think, of what of what we mostly already knew. Um, you know, T-Mobile initially started talking about offering some kind of fixed wireless internet service in uh, 2018 as part of the proposal to merge with Sprint and then uh, they started testing that service even before the merger was approved, uh, and then even a couple of weeks ago during their big analyst event, they you know provided a lot of details about about it. 
And so the event uh, yesterday was really sort of, you know, here's the official thing. Yes, it will be $60. Yes, it's going to be uncapped. Speeds are going to be around 100 megabits a second. But if you click into the, uh, the details, they're actually promising 50 megabytes a second and hoping for 100 megabytes a second and probably will give you somewhere around that. You just you really don't know. Um, so, you know, it's this, it's this process that they've been building on uh, for years now, um, and this made it official. But I think the, the really important point that I wanted to, um, th that I came away from this event with is that, you know, they say that they're offering it to 30 million households, which is a large number of households. You know, that's like one in five Amer American households could, could get it. What it doesn't mean is that all of those households will get it. It, it just means it's just a, you know, it's being offered to those households, but whether the, but it doesn't mean that all those households can purchase it all at once. Um, basically what they're just going to do is, you know, in places where they have additional network capacity, they will offer it. And if they don't have additional network capacity, they won't. So really the, 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 the thing to look at, I think, is the number of customers that they're going to have. And they've said that they're going to have uh, I think it's, you know, several hundred thousand customers by the end of this year. And that's, you know, that's, that's not millions, you know, that's a much smaller number. And yeah. I think it's indicative of, you know, the limitations of that technology. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, what I've, what I've noticed is, is that they claim this is going to fix, help bridge the, the internet divide, right? Especially for rural Americans. But what I found as far as availability, if you look up by zip code, a lot of rural places that I know about here in Pennsylvania still can't get the service because the cell sites haven't had the proper backhaul upgrades or N41 deployed on it and so forth. And the places that are getting it are primarily, you know, suburban or very close to cities. Like we have a good friend of the show um, named Snee Mobile Tech. Like he's been testing out the service and getting pretty great speeds at his house. Although um, he has been having some issues noticing actual video throttling actually to fast.com servers um hmm. believe it or not um it's on his patreon i think he shared has he shared on his regular youtube channel as well at this point i feel like he's been very vocal about it on twitter kind of sharing that you know t-mobile's trying to deliver this service and it really isn't it's kind of been a rocky start i feel like is what i'm getting like they have this modem it's not running the best software one of our other guests said the moment you restart the the modem it like completely resets itself and it's not it's not that smooth customer service and experience that you'd be hoping for. Yeah, it still feels like it's in beta testing, and I don't know if it's even necessarily should be confirmed or should have got the uptick in price for the level of performance that it's actually been delivering based off some of the testing we've seen from our colleague or uh, you know friends. Have you had a chance to personally test it, Mike? No, I haven't. But, uh, you know, probably more than a year ago, I actually did get in touch with somebody who was one of the very early um, uh, testers of it. Uh, and and that is a, if any of your listeners are, are want to check that out, they can Google it on the on the lightreading.com site. It's in, inside T-Mobile's fixed wire uh, service. Um, and, and what they said was exactly what you're saying is that the, you know, the speeds kind of come and go. Sometimes it's really fast, but you know there's there's plenty of hiccups. I think, you know, it, it's all, and and that is certainly exactly how my understanding of fixed wireless technology works. Like, it it uh, it can be affected by weather. It, you know, if there's a tree in the way, that will you know ruin the signal. Um, it's you know it's just it, it's sort of at the mercy of the of the elements. It is it is not as reliable as a wired connection, but 
obviously it's way cheaper to get into your house, you know, if you're beaming it from a tower a mile away than having to route a cable all the way to your house from wherever it's going, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mike, you had a great article recently you published kind of four big questions about T-Mobile's fixed wireless solution. Uh, the first one you had is, can the network handle it? Do you think T-Mobile's network is ready to offer this kind of product where the usage is theoretically going to spike through the roof uh, for these customers? I mean, it's, uh, you know, the fact that, that T-Mobile launched it and is officially offering this thing and, you know, counts more than 100,000 customers on it already, like that, I think, really does speak to not only the design of T-Mobile's network, but really the capabilities of, you know, modern technology. Like, it is amazing that you can do, that you can supply a home's internet connection over, you know, 5G or 4G. Like that, it, you know, if you had if you had told me that 10 years ago, I would not have believed you that that was possible. And here right. we've got that for, you know, to, to tens of thousands of people all over the country. And and T-Mobile is not the only one. A lot of other company, companies are, are doing fixed wireless. Verizon has a big uh, operation. U.S. Cellular does. AT&T. Rise Broadband. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's actually thousands of fixed wireless service providers all over the country, both big and small. So, and actually there's 7 million Americans today are subscribing to some kind of fixed wireless service. Uh, and that doesn't include uh, ones from satellites, you know? So anyway, uh, uh, it, it is pretty amazing, um, but it, it definitely, um, you know, the, so the idea that the network can handle it, it obviously it can, um, it's, like I said, it's probably not as uh, reliable and as fast as a super duper uh, fiber connection. Um, and I think the the real important thing is that um, you know T-Mobile will decide where in its network it does have that extra capacity. And although you know those that that's a, a decision that they're going to make, uh, you know, block by block and neighborhood by neighborhood, because in one neighborhood they might not have enough spectrum. In another neighborhood, there might be too many trees that they can't beam the signal through. Um, in another neighborhood, you know, there's just too many mobile subscribers that are that need the network and they just don't have the extra capacity. So it's really going to be, you know, up to their individual network planners to decide whether their network can handle uh, a household that might use a terabyte a month, you know? Yeah, I almost see this following the N41 rollout. Like as N41 becomes available, that has way more capacity on it. And so it's more likely that customers in that region will have the home internet product available to them as well. That's um, my assumption too. I'm, I'm not, I think that that's probably one of many factors. You know, I, I don't think that, that that spectrum band specifically is the deciding factor. I'm sure it's a big factor, but, you know, backhaul to the cell site, um, you know, the uh, other spectrum that they might have in the area, you know, they could even potentially use some unlicensed spectrum bands to increase capacity. And then they've got, you know, C-band spectrum that they could deploy as well in the future. So um, I, I agree that that's a big factor, but I don't think it's the only one. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but that's still, I mean, it still leaves a lot of constraints. I don't see the way we're talking about this, you know, with all these different limitations that just inherently come from it and the cost that's going to be needed to make it happen. It doesn't sound like this is going to be a rural Americans like saving grace because the experience that a rural American is probably going to get with say a five by five block of band 71 that might all they, that might be all that they're connecting to will be roughly 10 meg maybe and that's basically dsl level attainable performance 
on a good DSL connection. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it's going to be, you know, it'll, the best connection is the one that you have. (laughs) That's that's true. And so in some cases it'll be amazing. And in some cases it'll be pretty crappy. Yeah. So do you think our customer is going to want this? Is this something that, you know, people are going to need if they have other alternatives? I love that. I don't know. I'm very interested to see how this is rolled out, you know, uh, and, and it all goes down to, you know, what you have, if it's, if it's better than what you have, obviously you'll, you'll go to it, right? Like there's no reason not to. And in fact, you don't have to have a technician come to your house. You know, you could just buy that, the little modem thing and set it up. And if it doesn't work, you just mail it back, you know, no, no harm, no foul. So I think a lot of people are probably going to try it if the price is right. What I think is interesting though, is this idea of, a new competitor coming into the market because, you know, say you live in wherever Socorro, New Mexico uh, is my favorite example because it's a little tiny town in New Mexico. You know, say you live there, you you typically only have one option for wired internet. So if somebody else comes in, even if they're a little bit more expensive, it's still another option. And so I think that there are enough people out there uh, who are just looking for something different, who are just fed up with their existing provider Um, I've talked to other fixed wireless providers um, such as Starry and uh, uh, WeLink and and they've said they'll come into a market, a new market, and they'll start offering their service and they are guaranteed 20% of that market simply because a 20% of any market is fed up with their existing provider. So they they go in just knowing that they're going to get 20% and then you know, they may get additional based on whatever their prices are or whoever is there. But I think that's interesting that, you know, I certainly have been fed up with my internet provider and, you know, I would be happy to have some options. Uh, sure, sure. How who, widespread that is. Who do you have, by the way, I want to ask? Um, I have, uh, I guess they're called Lumen now. It's CenturyLink. And okay. it's fiber and it is so fast. <laughs> it's it's way fast. It's great. And, and you're fed up with it because that's like the uh, ideal for. No, no. This, this, this uh, that's what I was saying is I I, well, I had a, another one and I switched. Oh, 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 oh. I thought you were... that one. So uh, so this new one is fantastic compared to the other. One. It's like it's like half the price practically. And, and yeah, speed. Yeah, no fiber's the fiber's the dream. Uh, oh, I'm moving. I'm I'm literally moving into a house so I can get FiOS. Um, but. But yeah, no, I mean, I agree, man. Competition is definitely needed in the internet service provider space. Like my apartment complex that I'm in right now, you can only get Comcast because they have a contract with them. When I grew up back home and I grew up in a small town of like 600 people, only option was a cable operator called Armstrong Cable. They were small. And I was happy when they came out because before that I was on DSL. And before that, up until 2001, I literally had dial-up. So it was definitely good to get competition. I am just a little bit more skeptical, I guess, of this wireless solution because at first I was excited, you know, on the promises of 5G and what it's going to bring. But then as time has progressed and I've been seeing videos come out with like, you know, reviews of the performance in different markets and, you know, the complaints that you see on the forums and stuff, I've had tapered expectations because the product, like the the thing that it's delivering has been that much different from what we've seen from fixed wireless solutions back in the LTE generation from like AT&T or Verizon or so forth. To me, it's just another one of those. And I don't necessarily think it's the pill that's going to solve America's internet problems, especially if we're talking about home internet for the future. Like if it can't even meet today's needs, 
how is it going to ever hope to accomplish the future needs, which are going to be even more demanding as far as bandwidth is concerned? Yeah, I, I think that's true. And I would agree. And I, I think it's interesting to, uh, you know, I think that COVID really has had an impact on fixed wireless because, you know, COVID essentially, you know, raised uh, overall internet traffic, you know, a, a lot more than expected and, and, and uh, generated a lot of demand for that, that uplink part, you know, not just downlink, but uplink. And, and those two things are where, <laughs> where fixed wireless really struggles is like giving, giving a fast uplink and handling a lot of data and sort of COVID sort of moved the goalposts for fixed wireless by a couple of years, I think at least. Yeah. Even cable internet, when it comes to upload speed is horrendous. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm stuck on 10 meg and even the most expensive gigabit package only came with 35. So <laughs> Well, let me tell you about my fiber connection. <laughs> yeah, and you're probably only paying fifty bucks, I guess, because that's yeah. Like I, I literally am paying fifty bucks, and I have a symmetrical uh, uplink and downlink. It's, that's amazing. That is yep. amazing, Mike. I know that because I uh, on Reddit I follow all the ISPs, so I can see all the internet that I can never have. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But uh, but anyway, uh, Stetson, I'm sorry for hogging the mic, man. I think no, you had a question. No. Um, yeah, I guess the kind of uh, final thing here is can T-Mobile meet demand? You know, we talked about is it a good idea? I think yes, this is an excellent idea for T-Mobile and for consumers. They need the competition. But is T-Mobile going to meet uh, be able to meet demand uh, for this product? Like, are they going to be able to get enough of the Nokia gateways in that they need? Are they going to be able to boost their network capacity in the markets that need it? Mike, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, if I were to guess, and I'm totally guessing I have no information on this one way or the other, but I, I suspect there's going to be a lot of demand for this. And I suspect that uh, T-Mobile is going to struggle to meet that demand for a variety of reasons, You know, one of which is, I don't think we've touched on yet, is that the global chipset shortage. Uh, you know, yeah. They specifically mentioned that as a factor in their ability to get enough of the equipment out to people that they they just can't buy enough chips to power this stuff, um, and that issue has you know that global chipset shortage thing like that's a legit thing like you know it's, I think it's affecting Xboxes and cars and like and here we are here's another thing that it's affecting and so I think that there's there's that as well, um, and, and and you know that's separate from the the network capacity issues that and you know to be to be fair to T-Mobile too you know they're they're not even a year into their um, network upgrade program. You know, their merger with Sprint just closed uh, April of last year. And, uh, you know, so, so where, wherever, they are now, wherever they are now in their network upgrade, uh, it's going to get better uh, as time goes on, you know, and they're going to add more spectrum to that and, and, and more transmission sites. And um, so I, I think it's only going to get better from a, from a capacity standpoint. Sure. Well, fingers sure. crossed. Now, um, T-Mobile talked about something else that was interesting and I feel is a little bit controversial. They were talking about upgrading all existing customers on limited, like by the gig plans to an unlimited plan. Um, now, Mike, um, when I was doing some research on this, um, it looks like they're being bumped up to the internet as, um, excuse me, um, the uh, the essentials plan, the unlimited essentials plan, based off what uh, CNET did as far as questions is concerned. And I wanted your take on this change. Like, do you think this is a positive thing that the T-Mobile is doing, or do you think it's like a net negative for these people? I mean, I have to imagine it's a positive, right? That 
if you if you previously were you know limited to ten gigabytes or whatever it was, and now you're on essentials, you're not you're not limited anymore. So I think from that perspective, it, it's probably a good thing for those customers. I, I know it's well. I think it's interesting for T-Mobile because on the one hand, they're they're basically saying that we're not going to charge you extra for for usage anymore. So so they might be giving up some revenues. Um, you know, charging people for, you know, going over their data allotment. Um, but on the other hand, probably they're getting a lot more traffic. Probably they're opening the door to a lot more traffic on their network because now you could just stream whatever. Um, but I suspect that their network planners are well aware of the of the of the ramifications of this move and are prepared for it. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 not exactly sure what the ultimate, you know, net all of that change is going to be, and, and how much it's going to affect T-Mobile or not. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, I think for T-Mobile, it's a net win. I mean, it simply allows them to simplify their biller. Um, the reason why I, I should probably give some background real quick so that you have a full understanding. Um, basically, the old plans that are going to be migrated over to the Essentials plan would have been the old Simple Choice plans. These Simple Choice plans, they removed the whole. Um, overcharges it would just slow down the 2g data after you reach your allotment and you would have some amount of some amount of data and then they had a data stash where you actually got to hold on to any unused data from like a month for like a year's worth of time and you had flexibility to use this data however you wanted like if you wanted to use 30 gigs of hotspot data because you had 30 gigs you were free to do so and that was priority access now with t-mobile essentials t-mobile essentials is a unlimited plan um, but it's deprioritized data. Uh, hotspot, there is no like fast hotspot data. It's just all at uh, 2G speeds, which is like 128 kilobits per second. 600 kilobits per second oh, for hotspot. Um, excuse me. They 3G speeds, excuse me. Uh, 600 kilobits per second. And yeah, I don't know. For me, I thought it would be a more touchy issue because like I would be upset if my plan got changed. Like if I was a customer that was maintaining one of those old simple choice plans, there was probably a reason why I was doing it. Um, whether it be because I didn't need the unlimited data options because they were too expensive um, or because I wanted to have that extra hotspot usage. I don't know. I thought it was a little more touchy. Stetson, your thoughts? Or are you kind of in uh, Mike's game? Well, I, so I think on one hand, I think it's good. Like those people no longer need to think about data usage. They can just use their phone however they want. On the other hand, I think it's, you know, it's kind of interesting where they're being deprioritized where they previously weren't. I don't know how much of a difference those people are going to notice or even care about that. Um, but as long as their their price is the same, I feel like they're going to be they're going to be okay with it. And as you said, Dennis, like this is really a T-Mobile move. They need to simplify their billing system and their billing structure, and they just wanted to present that in a more positive light, which is why I think they kind of made that announcement. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, I don't know all the ins and outs of all their different pricing plans and stuff. Um, but, but what I do know, though, is that, you know, for T-Mobile, um, this this makes a lot of business sense because, you know, let's be honest, I mean, their goal is to make more money. Right. And so and and their 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 strategy for making money on 5G is is literally the exact same strategy that AT&T and Verizon have. It is a series of tiered unlimited plans. So they want everyone to start on the on the cheap plan and get comfortable with it and then decide, oh, well, you know, for $5 more, I'll get Netflix or for $5 more, I'll get, you know, Hotspot or whatever it is. And then to upgrade to the more expensive plan. Um, and so, 
and so in that respect, you know, that's what T-Mobile is hoping is they'll get everybody on these entry-level plans and then eventually they'll want to upgrade to the more expensive plans and they'll make more money. And that's exactly the same strategy that AT&T and Verizon have. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Yeah. I think the uh, sort of last huge nugget of news, or maybe we could say that T-Mobile mentioned that anyone who is switching from Verizon or AT&T on those fixed data bucket plans, they would actually give you a cheaper plan or be able to match the price. And uh, so Mike, I was curious what those rates were. I went on just on Verizon's site and they have a five gig shared data plan for 130 a month or about 30 to 50 per line. Plus you have to pay a $25 a line line access charge. So, so you're looking at $57 per line for shared five gigs of data. I mean, I think T-Mobile just took a golden marketing opportunity and spun it in the best way possible because yeah. these these shared data plans are super expensive. If existing Verizon and AT&T customers literally just switch to the like corresponding unlimited plan on the same network, I think they'd be saving money. So yeah, I, I agree. You know, I here I actually have a question for you guys is that um so, so I I I continue to try to cover the you know, they charge this much for this gigabyte and they charge this much for that. Like it navigating their websites and figuring out those pricing plans and then comparing them is like it is like doing advanced algebra for me. Like I, it is so hard to figure out what you're getting in those plans you know, what all the stipulations are. Like, I just, I find it practically impossible. So when T-Mobile says, you know, we'll meet or match their price, you know, I, I can almost never figure out what that, what that actually means. Like what is the I, price that they're meeting? I don't know. I have generally learned to not trust any company at face value. And the trick is to read the fine print that no one likes to read. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm a T-Mobile customer. I've been with them for like six years. I, uh, Younger version of me definitely uh, drank the Kool-Aid of, of John Leisure and his hype team. Um, but I found that T-Mobile can be pretty disingenuous in time. So I'm going to be really curious to see what this looks like. Because if they're matching the price of a very poorly priced um, plan uh, from Verizon, then is that even a good a good option to switch, right? Like, yeah. like uh, I know um, – like, I'll give you a good example. Um, before my parents and – before I basically took over my parents, like some of my parents' financials, right? I was looking at bills and stuff. We were paying like AT and T like a hundred and seventy three dollars and some change um, for like a thirty five gigabyte like mobile value share plan. And there was a tablet line on there that God knows why it got added and all that jazz. Literally, I made the switch for us to go over to Unlimited Elite, which ended up being a net exact like total, roughly the same. But we got obviously 100 gigs of priority data. Uh, each of us got 30 gigs of hotspot for each of our lines. We got HBO Max for free, which is hands down one of my favorite streaming services. Hmm. And I end up being I end up being at the same price point, but with like a way better plan, right? Um, and basically, the moral of the story was this: is if I'm gonna switch to something, especially if we're talking unlimited, I definitely want you just to give me whatever your best pricing is and not even convolute it. Yeah, 100. percent no, yeah, Mike, you bring up a great point. I mean, what I do is uh, kind of like Dennis said, scour the website, just stare at it for a really long time until it eventually sinks in, read the fine print. 
Um, and then I have my own website, bestphoneplans.net. And what I try and do is like really make it as easy as possible to compare the plans on there. So you can clearly see the differences at a glance. Um, and I guess I, I'm thankful for job security at this point. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yours is a valuable service. That's for sure. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Mike, um, I got to... I got to ask you real quick. This wasn't planned, but who are you currently using right now? Uh, I'm on AT&T. Yeah. Gotcha. It's really good in the Denver area. It, yeah, it's it is really good, good up here That's in Pittsburgh too. <laughs> yeah. But uh, did anything that T-Mobile say like make you make you reconsider AT&T? Like did anything maybe entice you a little bit? Uh, no, not really. You know, the, the best service is the one that works where you are. And so mine does, you know. You know, yeah. but yeah, I'd love to cut off a few dollars from the bill, but the prospect of moving everyone over, you know, I'm I'm willing to pay five dollars extra a month, so don't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> the you mean that is worth it. You mean that free phone deal for the A31 didn't get you? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It sounds like more work than it's worth. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep my old phone. <laughs> that's a that's actually a good segue. I think that was like the last big nugget was this free 5G phone. Uh, I think it's the a32 5G that T-Mobile is offering. Mike, what what was your take when they announced this on stage? Was this like a, yes, this is awesome, or like a, well, maybe we should just wait a minute and look at what yeah. this actually is? I, my, my excitement at that announcement actually decreased dramatically over the course <laughs> of yesterday. You know, because he came up and he said, you know, free phone, cheaper service. And and like, how do you, how can you beat that? Like, you know, they're giving a free phone and the service is cheaper than their competitors and the network is, is better, you know, by most measurements. It's like, how do you, how, how can you compete with that? Well, you know, you dig into the details and it's like, well, <laughs> the, the free phone is, you know, it's, it's a pretty standard offer that, you know, a lot of other carriers can either match or beat. And, you know, the service prices are all about the same anyway. And so, you know, uh, I just, I saw, uh, a summary of that announcement, which was uh, summed up by the phrase clever marketing. Yeah. I think that's true. I mean, I'm not, and, and that's not to take anything away from T-Mobile. I mean, you know, to have clever marketing is a very, <laughs> you know, it's a real good, it's a real good skill to have as a, as a company and as a marketing department. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it's, it's the case where it's, you know, it sounds really good. It, it is not bad. Um, but it's not necessarily revolutionary or, or that much different from what other, other companies are offering. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, Verizon actually did something that was revolutionary. Did you see their promo for the thousand up to a thousand dollars broken phone? Doesn't matter. We'll give you something new Did you, it was an April 1st. It was on a April fool's day. Actually. I think they came out with that. Yes, that's why don't you why don't you tell them a little bit more because you know the details on yeah, it. Yeah, that was basically same kind of thing where T-Mobile's like you can trade in any phone. As long as it works, you can trade it in. We'll give you this free 5G phone. On April 1st, Verizon launched their promo, which was uh, you can trade in any phone, broken or working, and you can get up to one thousand dollars of trading credit. Of course, you know, that's the that's the top end up to mark where you trade in like literally i don't know a new iphone 12 pro or something where you literally paid that much for the phone to begin with um, but i think it's kind of interesting seeing carriers offer these deals but what i think it comes down to is that the the credit for the phone is applied over a 24-month financing agreement so what t-mobile is doing is effectively making this offer seem really sweet 
trying to get as many people as possible to switch over to sign up and then kind of low-key lock them into this 24-month financing agreement um, with what ends up being kind of a low-end Android phone if you decide you don't want it or you want to switch. Like, you'll have to end up paying for that, which, yeah. I don't know, not not super worth it in, in my opinion. Yeah, the only way you come out ahead on it because of the way because the way t-mobile does their trade-ins basically they take the cost of your phone and apply it as a media credit so like if they value your phone at fair market value of 80 bucks they take that off the cost of the phone and your financing amount is basically that remaining cost by by the 24 months and each month they give you a credit so the only way you win on this really cheap deal is if you find some like really old flip phone basically and give it to them because you give them something even remotely decent like uh even an old iPhone six, right? So that's we've seen them sell for at least a hundred bucks on Swappa. You're kind of you're kind of taking an L. I mean, like you're better off just selling that phone and getting the cash and then buying something you actually wanted. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And phones are pretty cheap. I, I literally bought a flip phone for ten dollars for my daughter. So <laughs> you know, you that's could amazing. literally go buy a new one and then trade it into T-Mobile and get this this one. Yeah, yeah. So it seems worth it. I think what's almost more interesting to me here is after hearing the announcement, something clicked where we had Roger Etner on a couple episodes ago, and he said the real benefit to 5G is that carriers are going to be able to deliver data to customers at a much cheaper rate. And so I thought, you know, this is almost genius on T-Mobile's part, switch as many people as possible over to a 5G compatible phone, and all of a sudden they can start delivering 5G data at what should theoretically end up being a more uh, or a higher margin uh, cost for them so they can earn more money. Um, and maybe now we can kind of segue into uh, like the T-Mobile's 5G strategy at this point. Like where do you see T-Mobile's 5G strategy as it stands today? Um, and maybe how do you think it would compare against Verizon and, and AT&T with what they're doing? Yeah, uh, you've entered into my, this is my my sweet spot right here. I, this is what I spend all my time on. So sit, sit back and relax while I yammer on at length about 5G. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, T-Mobile has a, has a very, uh, very clear and uh, pretty compelling story around 5G. And it can be summed up uh, in two numbers, uh, 2.5. I mean, that that is their... Mid-band spectrum, they have a stupid amount of it all over the country, um, and it's pretty ideal for, for 5G. And in fact, you know, it's interesting because uh, uh, Sprint actually had that spectrum forever. Uh, they had it for years and years uh, and could not put it into use because of the nature of that spectrum. It, it requires more cell sites. And so when T-Mobile bought Sprint, they, they also got the ability to invest in, in upgrading the network building out the sites they need and so and actually turning it on. And so it was just sort of the right confluence of events of, you know, uh, being able to acquire all that spectrum from Sprint, getting enough money to start upgrading their network so that it's so that it's uh, uh, so that the transmission sites are in the right place. And then also having this technology 5G, which is just ideal for that 2.5 gigahertz spectrum that they got from Sprint. Um, and so, you know, and, that, and then combine that with their low band spectrum, their 600 megahertz spectrum that they bought in the auction. Uh, you know that's great for coverage, and then and then this um, this 2.5 gigahertz that they got from Sprint that's really good for capacity, and then in locations where they need even more capacity, they've got a really large amount of millimeter wave spectrum that's ideal for places like football stadiums and airports and stuff. Um, so uh, you know, put all those three things together is that T-Mobile T-Mobile has a really good a really good 5G story, and 
Um, they're investing in some of the real fancy uh, 5G technologies or the future stuff uh, because they uh, upgraded their network to the standalone version of 5G, which is uh, fancy and will do your laundry and uh, wash your socks and, you know, uh, clean the dishes and whatever else it does. Anyway, it's, it's super cool. And, and, and they've, they've also upgraded to that. So their, their story is pretty good. And the story that uh, uh, AT&T, uh, Verizon, and especially AT&T are, is not nearly as compelling as the, as the story that T-Mobile has. And in fact, if you listen to the AT&T folks talking about 5G, um, they're just, they're just not interested in it. They, <laughs> they don't, they don't really, you know, they're like, they're like, we do it. It's fine. It's great. Whatever. Uh, here, here's HBO Max is, is what they have to say about 5G. Um, Verizon's a little bit more excited about 5G, but, but really it's, it is hard to beat T-Mobile's 5G story. Yeah, I think, I mean, the other carriers really didn't have that sweet mid-band spectrum until the recent C-band auction. Now they own it, but they can't deploy it until later this year, early next year is kind of what I'm hearing. Um, how important do you think millimeter wave is to T-Mobile? You know, the free phone they're offering, it doesn't even support millimeter wave. You know, a lot of the devices they carry, especially the more budget ones, only have the mid-band and the low-band. Where does the high-capacity millimeter wave uh, fit in for T-Mobile? Do they need it? Do they care about it? Yeah. I mean, they have so much of that 2.5 gigahertz that they, they almost don't need to at this point. Um, and so really, I think that, you know, the only reason we're talking about millimeter wave is because Verizon made a big deal about it. Um, in 2018, uh, and they only made a big deal about it in 2018 is because they didn't have anything else, <laughs> any other spec. They didn't have any C-band spectrum yet to, to make a big deal about. And so that's really the reason that we're talking about millimeter wave. And in fact, across the entire rest of the world, uh, no one really cares about millimeter wave. It, it is only now being deployed in places like China, Russia, uh, Japan, and South Korea. Um, and, and and that it, that that makes a lot of sense because um, it, it, it is really, you know, that millimeter wave spectrum, w I think, will play a very important role in the future in places like airports and uh, downtown areas and, uh, and football stadiums and, st and, and, and concert venues and that kind of thing um, in the future when, when a lot more stuff is connected and, you know, we're just using more data. Uh, but right now, I think I think it is a smart decision by T-Mobile to just sort of ignore it for now. They just they just don't need it yet. I think they'll they'll need it in the future, but probably not yet. And um, you're right, that phone does not have millimeter wave spectrum, and that's probably why it, it costs you know three hundred dollars or so retail. Yeah. I think if you put the millimeter wave in there, it, it may cost more, and that would make it harder for T-Mobile to make it free. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean. Um... I definitely think uh, the mid-band approach is definitely going to be like a good sweet spot for right now. Um, but I don't necessarily think uh, millimeter wave should be ignored per se, because it's the only it's the only real flavor of 5G that's living up to like these magical promises of like the really really ultra low latency and and like the really really cool stuff. Because right now, based off of my network testing with N41 in my market and the spots that I've seen it performance has been roughly on par with what LT could technically do if it had that same amount of like spectrum dedicated to it right like um I lived in South Korea for a month and LT advanced you know all over the place over there getting 400 meg on an LT connection wasn't unheard of heck even getting 600 meg during like non-peak hours also wasn't unheard of 
Um, and like 600 meg back when I was doing my speed test was kind of like the cap, just based off the uh, Intel modem that was inside like the iPhone 8 Plus. So, um, I don't know. I the performance I'm seeing on 5G, the real gains that have been notable are mainly coming from latency. Really, that's the big improvement. I think ping times have dropped about what like. 20 between 20 milliseconds and like 10 milliseconds on average yeah it's it's definitely great for sure and yeah i'm excited for all flavors but i think you're right mike i mean t-mobile's kind of winning the race to 5g right now just because they have the spectrum and they're deploying it and the other carriers are they were kind of at a disadvantage like they just didn't own the spectrum they couldn't deploy it if they wanted to and i think we'll really have to wait and see until next year where verizon just switches the hype machine from millimeter wave to midband 5g and we get that one carrier that isn't really being talked about that much or at all because they don't really have a network is dish i'm kind of wondering you know what is your take on what dish is doing what do you see their strategy as being for their 5g rollout yeah Boy, Dish is such a great story. I, I'm 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 constantly entertained by the stuff that they do, and the the way that I look at Dish is, um, you know, so they've been buying Spectrum licenses for the past ten years, uh, or even more than ten years. So, you know, that there's there's the, the speculation about what they might do. Uh, you know, this has been years and years worth of well, is you know is the owner of Dish Network Charlie Ergen is he going to build a network or is he not? Like I've probably written that story every year for the past yeah six or seven years now. Um, but uh, you know, just lately, they've they've basically they've they've made a lot of announcements and they've made some actual real purchases and some real concrete steps toward actually building a network. Uh, the two biggest ones are that they bought. Uh, you know, they spent more than a billion dollars to buy Boost Mobile. Um, and then they also, in my mind, they, they've hired a bunch of like pretty significant people who have relocated to Denver uh, to work there and a, a, among a lot of other announcements. And so if you look at those things, you know, on one hand, you know, Dish might not do it, right? They might just sell their spectrum and get out of the business and call it good. Or they might actually do it. They might actually build a network and, and become a fourth network operator. If if you think that they're not going to do it, then all the things that they're doing, you have to sort of explain away, well, you know, it's this, that, that. You have to give excuses for why they're doing what they're doing. But if you believe that they're going to build a 5G network, then all the things that they've done so far make a lot of sense. Of course they would, of course they would buy boots. You know, they're going to build a network. Well, of course they'd hire all these people and, you know, get this tower climbing and sign all these tower, long-term tower agreements. You know, they're doing it because they're going to build a network, right? So that's kind of how I'm looking at it is like, there's a certain possibility that they'll just sell that spectrum and get out of the business and call it good. But, you know, based on their activity so far, it can all be explained by the fact that they're serious, that they're really going to build a network and, you know, it's going to happen. So we'll see what happens, but, uh, you know, I, I'm leaning, I, everything I'm seeing just leans me toward they're serious. They're actually going to build that network. Sure, sure. Who, who do you think this network would be for? You know, it's, I feel like the market's very saturated right now with Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile. Consumers, I feel like, are pretty happy with what they have. No real reason to switch unless there's a sweet phone deal or something. Who is this network going to be for? Is it for consumers? Is it for businesses? What do you think? Yeah, right. I think that's the question. Like, who's going to buy this? Uh, that I think that's the real question. Like, it, yeah, I, I don't know who's going to buy it. They've got all these boost customers. I mean, who, who else needs a network? Uh, you know, there, you've seen rumors like uh, Amazon is going to use their all, put all their drones 
you know, they're going to have this like huge army of drones that will rule us all and they'll all be connected on Dish's network. Maybe. Uh, we'll see. They kind of need a network first. Yeah, they need a network first. And then they need customers. And and I think the network is a lot <laughs> like I would bet on the network before I would bet on customers for it. So interesting. And, yeah. I don't know how many they're out there for it. And with the CapEx that they have dedicated to building up the network, I think it's only, what, $10 billion over the next... What three years? Yeah, Four a couple years. years. Yeah, um, I mean, that's their that's their price tag for the whole thing, supposedly. First thing. I was, was going to say, shucks, Verizon spending ten billion alone just on deploying C band, not even talking about their normal capex spending for maintenance and, and upgrading other relations yeah. to sites. So that's I'll be crazy. curious. I'll be curious to see uh, if they're going to be able to do this alone. I think. Um, I mean, maybe you'll agree with me, but I think that Dish needs to partner up strategically with someone that actually has the funds, like having a partnership with Amazon. I think would make a lot of actual sense as far as synergies because Amazon could handle a lot of the stuff with their AWS team as far as like, you know, website hosting and taking payments and facility, you know, facilitating these types of things. And like you were talking about, Amazon could also use the network for their drone delivery service that they're, um, you know, working on. Um, Mike, do you think that's like a likely outcome? Dish ends up partnering up with someone like Amazon or... Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't have any insight into that. D uh, Dish uh, continues to hint that they've got some sort of fantastic partners, uh, but, you know, they never materialize. Uh, and rumors that, you know, Google will get into the business or, you know, uh, Amazon or somebody, that, that's been around for a long time. And it's never been out. You know, the, the closest we've gotten is Google Fi MVNO. Yeah, and that's you know it's an MVNO. Is you just you just pay them the bill. It's not like they're doing anything really. Uh, and, and so I'm I, I would I would be surprised if there's some sort of amazing partnership you know for Dish in the future. It's possible, but I I think the chances are low. Well, how about the uh, cable operators, Mike? Have you been paying mm -hmm. attention to them and their participation? Oh yeah, so cable operators are super interesting. Yeah, you know, as you guys know, the, they've got the the MVNOs that they they so they they offer mobile services with a MVNO partnership with Verizon, um, and uh, they're pretty serious. You know, they bought a bunch of spectrum in the uh, CBRS uh, spectrum auction. Um, they they were supposed to buy spectrum C band spectrum, but uh, they they actually never placed any bids during the auction, so they they walked away with zero. Uh, uh, and and that 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 head fake cost them a hundred million dollars, which was the cost of entry. Uh, it's one bid during the entire auction. Um, and so now I actually think that their strategy is becoming pretty clear. Is that they got a new MVNO deal with uh, Verizon uh, late last year, um, and from the, you know the terms of that agreement have not been released, but it looks like they got what they wanted from Verizon because both sides now are, are sort of saying nice things about each other. <laughs> um, and also they have all that CBRS spectrum. And actually, if, if you go to the lightreading.com uh, website right now, there's a story about Charter. Uh, Charter is uh, in the early stages of um, uh, uh, testing what it would be like to operate a, a mobile network in that CBRS spectrum. So I think there's clear indications that they're going to build a very small scale, uh, localized mobile network that will reduce their payment, their MVNO payments to Verizon. But I think that's the extent of the cable ambition. I think that they'll just continue. They've got a new MVNO deal with Verizon. So that's set. They've got the CBRS spectrum that'll offload, that'll reduce their payments to Verizon. 
and they'll just, you know, kind of keep on keeping on. C- cable cable continues to be very boring. And I think that's they like that. They want it to be boring. <laughs> they don't they don't like surprises. They'll just keep doing what they're doing and it'll, you know, it'll make them some money and they'll be happy. You don't think they're going to like really go gung ho at some point in the future and and take that as an opportunity for growth since I mean, cable like you said it's boring, right? It's a saturated saturated monopoly like there's not really that many growth paths i mean actually if anything they're losing money with tv subscriptions going down the only thing that, i mean the only thing they can and no one has a house phone the only thing they can really sell is internet so you don't think they're going to go gung-ho into this because that's going to be a new way to generate more profit and make up for those losses i mean how are they going to do it though that's that's the question they'll, they'll need spectrum to make a big play and they don't have any and i also think i mean th- there are thoughts that, you know, cable will eventually partner with Dish, right? Dish is building a big network and cable could partner with Dish. The problem with that is that those, the you know, the satellite TV industry and the cable industry are, are mortal enemies. And especially cable does not like Dish network and Charlie Ergen, the, the guy over there. They just, they just don't like each other. They always, they never have always, always uh, speak ill of each other. And, and, uh, cable likes, uh, really robust, reliable stuff. And that's why they have a deal with Verizon. The time that it's going to take for Dish to have a network that's anywhere close to Verizon's network is, is a law. That's a, that's a big, you know, that's a big project. And I don't think the Dish is going to get there anytime soon, which means that, you know, a, a potential partnership between uh, cable and Dish for 5G is at least you know seven to ten years down the road, which would be the time that a dish network would be as capable and as extensive as a Verizon network. And you know, well, and then and then we'll be in six G, and they'll have to like, yeah. fix everything. Yeah, exactly. Well, hypothetically speaking, if a merger like that did happen, where all the cable providers just made like a big conglomerate with Dish, I actually think I actually think it would have perfect synergies. So as you know, like cable operators, they have permits, typically speaking, with all the municipalities for the utility and everything like that. So if they decided one day to flip the switch and say, hey, we're going to start offering 5G wireless service, they could very quickly go over to all the places they have these little Wi-Fi hospitals around. Like over here in Pittsburgh, Comcast is like massive, right? They got Wi-Fi just chilling on every single like pole, like as you go down like the street at the big churches they have like you can see like these massive things to give people like public wi-fi hotspots for accessibility reasons in fact during COVID, they made them free to, to access for everybody and all they'd have to do is instead of having those wi-fi boxes there just swap that out for some 5g antennas the backhaul is already there right and then boom you got a millimeter wave site on like every every corner right that's the that's the millimeter wave dream and then for the macro sites, those are fairly easy to get. You know, you partner up with Crown Castle. You know, they own most of the sites or uh, somebody else. And boom, you got your macro sites to deploy. What is Dish's Spectrum Holdings anyway? What do they actually have in comparison to everybody right now? Yeah, the Dish's Spectrum Holdings are, you know, sort of cobbled together from a lot of different things. So they have like, they have a bunch of AWS 3. They have some AWS 4. Um, they have... Uh, um, they have a bunch of CPRS, but that's not part of their original, their initial build out. I think they have some have 700 as well. Um, yeah, it's kind of all over. It's weird stuff. So they're, are they spectrum starved compared to the others? No, no, no. So total, total amount of spectrum that dish has is, is, is actually very comparable to, uh, AT&T. Wow. Okay. Minus C band. So, so aside from C band dish, uh, would be 
would be number four in terms of spectrum ownership uh, across the country. So they, they actually have a lot of spectrum, but it's it's like you have to sort of assemble all these weird bands together to get them as big as uh, AT&T. And are they all going to synergize? Because you can't pair certain bands with others, right, for carrier? That's so part they- of the problem is they've, they've got they've, they've got like all these weird things about their, their spectrum band is like some of it's approved by the um, – 3GPP and is uh, you know available for usage in phones. Some of it is not. Um, yeah, there's there, they've got issues with that uh, with 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 uh, freeing up all that spectrum for mobile use. And sure. can they? How do they fix that? I mean, do they just have to try to sell it off and get the proper licenses, or how do they get that resolved? Yeah, I mean, some of their licenses are still being um, debated with the FCC. Um, some of their licenses are not supported by uh, current devices and networks, um, and some are. Um, so their initial build uh, that they're starting now is is all the like officially supported stuff that they can get equipment for, um, but not all of it. And actually, they you know if you if you count all of their spectrum, they actually have like a whole bunch of weird holdings like at 12 gigahertz that no one <laughs> like no one uses 12 gigahertz, but Dish has like 500 megahertz almost in 12. 12- <laughs> So they're actually asked, they're working with the FCC right now to make that available for um, energy as well. Uh, oh but my God. yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, that's under discussion right now. And it's, it's unclear whether it'll be available, but uh, yeah, dish has a lot of weird stuff that, you know, if, if their master plan works out, it's, it would be pretty impressive, but it, you know, it's taken some time. Would phones need new bands to take advantage of that? Yeah. All the, all those bands would require s- specific chipset support. Uh, some wow. of which Qualcomm and others do support and some of which they don't. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah, we had a comment from Chain. We appreciate the support. Uh, Dish has 400 megahertz in the 12 gigahertz spectrum, which is really interesting. So yeah. uh, that's, that's like a crazy amount of spectrum too. And people, some some of the other, uh, apparently Michael Dell, the, the guy from Dell Computer, like the billionaire owner of Dell Computer, he actually invested in a company that also has a crazy amount of, of that 12 gigahertz spectrum. And so they're both trying to get it uh, freed up for for 5G, uh, and uh, and and there's a huge debate right now because SpaceX is also using it for their for their service. And so there's a big debate about whether SpaceX should be using it or 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 Dish should use it for 5G or yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. Well, as we're kind of wrapping up the show here, Mike, we had a question from a Patreon supporter um, asking, "What did you think about 5G?" And what do you think other carriers, Verizon and AT&T, uh, will do to catch up? Will they catch up soon, or is T-Mobile really that far ahead of the others? Uh, T-Mobile is pretty far ahead. I mean, everybody kind of agrees that yeah, like you know, this this is their lead to blow. Uh, uh, and you know, they just have a lot of momentum. Um, and in five G, I mean, you know, eventually Verizon and then AT&T will catch up. I also, I honestly don't think that there's a huge like amount of demand for 5G right now. Like, yeah, I, I don't have it. I, I don't need you it. You don't have it. You're I, an AT&T. I, Do you have a 5G I'm, phone, Mike? I I have one that says 5GE, uh, which is you not got, 5G. It's actually you got LTE. the fake 5G. I got the, the fake funny, 5G. The funny thing is, when I tested 5GE on AT&T, it was often faster than actual yeah. 5G was. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Is like, you know. The, 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 all the different flavors of 5G, it's so complex. And, you know, it's just for the regular consumer, that, that's just a bunch of nonsense. Like, they don't care about that. Yeah. They, they just want to be able to make calls and watch videos. And, 
and you can do that on LTE. Like honestly, like the, I just don't, you know, the by the what's really going to be the thing is that you know when Apple has some sort of goggles that have artificial or uh, artificial reality, and you know it's this like fancy new service that really requires these these blazing fast speeds and low latency, but we're just not there yet. We just don't have those devices, and and so I'm on LTE. I have I have no. I have no ambitions to upgrade to 5G. I don't see a reason to do it. That's so funny. So you're covering all of this incredible 5G tech, but no. you yourself, you're rocking LTE. What what yeah. phone are you using, Mike? I'm kind of curious. I, I'll i show you. Yeah. It's a black slab. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Oh, it's an iPhone. iPhone. Okay. And it's going to be a I 10 couldn't tell or you. I think it's a, It might be a 10 or 11. I don't know. I can't remember. Sweet, sweet. Yeah, yeah. no. It, it's hey. a black slab. They all look like black slabs now. It looks yeah, identical to all the other phones. Well, Stetson's got four black slabs that are actually all identical, and I got <laughs> uh, a ton of different phones as well. Um, back when phones really looked different, I have the Nexus 6P. I got a Galaxy S20 Plus. Do you do you remember the Nexus 6P, by the way, Mike? The net. Uh, was a Google. The Google phone. It yeah, was the last. It was the last. Um, google made or google phone before they came out with the pixel lineup and it was actually the only huawei phone that i'm aware of that was supported in the u.s whoa oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's uh that's, that's interesting yeah. yeah yeah you should save that one that's you get that autographed by uh i don't know somebody <laughs> sweet, sweet. Biden or yeah ran the ceo of huawei or something like that's a that's a keepsake <laughs> sweet well uh mike we really appreciate you taking the time to join our show um you know, is there anything you want to share with the audience? Like, where can people find you? You're writing, working on anything super cool right now? Uh, no, I really appreciate the opportunity. It was great to meet you guys, and uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy to be here. And I uh, uh, so yeah, I write on lightreading.com, l-i-g-h-t-r-e-a-d-i-n-g.com, and you can find me on Twitter. It's Mike D Dano. That's sweet. Sweet. Yeah, those are all linked in the video description for anyone oh. who's interested in following what Mike is writing about on light reading, following what light reading is doing. And you can follow him on Twitter at the link in the show notes as well. So that's going to be it. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Um, everyone who's watching, please take care and have a wonderful rest of your day. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. Bye.